Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new work from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host Melissa Collings after the reading when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. The Story Discovery Podcast is sponsored by Scrivener. I've been using Scrivener since 2014, and I never looked back. It's an amazing tool for writers in that it lets you build research in the same document that you're doing your work. You can put in images and PDFs. You can organize your work using the corkboard view. You can set goals. You can export it to multiple formats, including ebook and manuscript. There's really nothing Scrivener can't do in the writing universe, and I highly recommend it, which is why I'm so pleased that they're a sponsor. If you'd like to check them out, you can follow the link from our website or just type Scrivener into your search engine. Our listeners get a 20% discount by using the coupon code STORYDISCOVERY at checkout. If you're a writer and you haven't tried Scrivener, I highly recommend it. Give Scrivener a try. You won't regret it. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All works, stories, and poems are copyright 2022. All rights reserved. On today's show, you'll hear a selection of poems written by Elaine Sorrentino and narrated by Melissa Collings. Settle in and enjoy. A Selection of Poems by Elaine Sorrentino Breath Therapy Smoldering sage scorches my nostrils. I finger the cool wood bordering my red yoga mat, unable to relax. What if the house burns down? The therapist gently coos. Close your eyes. Concentrate on breathing. Free your brain from outside thoughts. Think about how your breath sounds. I tense, unused to self-scrutiny. Focusing instead on in and out, in and out. The exercise is mesmerizing, entrancing. Sinking into the depth of inhale and exhale. I envision life-saving chemo cocktails, no longer necessary, exiting my healed body with every breath. I don't need you, I breathe in. Goodbye, I breathe out. Purged of the poison, I open my eyes. An unexpected lingering calm assures me the therapy has done its job. And the house has not burned down. Second Thoughts Who can forget the night you returned to your dorm for your warm St. Mark's jacket? Your surprise at his being there without your roommate his nonchalant shrug. When you tell him 
Marnie's not here. She's out with friends. His casual, yes, I know. Who can forget? His predatory advance. Tearing your clothes, throwing you on your bed. Your struggle to deter him from a crime of the vilest sort. Muffling your screams, seizing what you were saving for another. Who can forget the aftermath? Your friend's accusations, his ardent denials. Your heartbroken mom, tossing your belongings into an old suitcase, removing you from further harm. Who can forget the pink indicator? Your new reality, victim turned mommy. A role you rejected to terminate your nightmare. Imagining your relief when the procedure was over. The episode behind you, influencing me to forever loosen my Catholic black and white view. Blurred gray with understanding, choice is a blessing. Who can forget the freedom this decision afforded you? to preserve, unencumbered, or perhaps still encumbered, explaining why years later you attempt to impede that same freedom from other sisters, victims. I do not understand. My life is not your life, and I still cannot forget. The Lemon Before you rolled into my life, I dreamed of racing you around the block, feeling your ergonomic support on my back, allowing you to steer our relationship as we grooved to Maroon 5 on your boss speakers. This economy girl longed for her taste of luxury and performance, fancying herself perched proudly on your armrest. When dream became reality, you clocked more hours with the mechanics at the dealership than with me. Storms are coming. No meteorologist required. Shifts in temperature, wind speed, barometric pressure propel our resourceful winged friends to flock to backyard feeders bulking up pre-squall, fat ones more likely, to make it to mating season. Yet frenzied foraging fails to overturn the pecking order. 
waiting their turn, like obedient kindergartners, before dashing to micro-shelters, squeezing their bodies in tree crevices and shrubs, one advantage of being a tiny creature. Meanwhile, at the grocery, the two-legged species remove their manners, replace, excuse me, with elbow jabs, you first after me, their mantra. Unhinged, worrying about the store, closing before stocking up, as though the world will spin off its axis if they run out of chips and beer. Opinions on Writing Poetry Write all in one sitting, so as not to interrupt your thought journey. Share it with your parakeet. Be willing to look ridiculous in the privacy of your own writing. Abstain from self-censure in your first draft. Claw your way to find beauty in something that is not beautiful. Describe it in a novel fashion. Less is more. I disagree. More is more. Squirrel away your first draft. Reorder your lines later. Revise, revise, revise. I heard it took Robert Frost only ten minutes to pen, stopping by woods on a snowy evening in 1922. Less than one quarter of an hour to perfect the pull between beauty and obligation. Ellen Bass admitted failure took ten years to finish, even as an accomplished poet. She lacks confidence, unlike Billy Collins, fearlessness oozing from every phrase. You've just listened to a selection of poems by Elaine Sorrentino. Welcome to the post-story portion of the podcast. I'm your co-host, Melissa, here with JW. Hello. We've got Elaine on the show today to discuss her poetry and life beyond. Welcome, Elaine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, we are very excited to have you on the show. Elaine is the communications director at South Shore Conservatory in Massachusetts, and her literary work can be found in a slew of journals and or magazines. So let's find out more. Who is Elaine Sorrentino? <laughs> As you said, I am the communications director at Social Conservatory in Hingham, Massachusetts. Um, I've been there for almost 30 years. Wow. My background is actually I have a journalism degree from Suffolk University. And when I graduated, my first professional job was as a newsletter writer for an anti-poverty agency. Wow. Oh. So that was kind of interesting. That was extremely eye-opening and, and humbling, but mm. um, it was, actually was a good place to start. Was that a uh, state agency or a federal agency? Or it was non-profit? federally funded. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. They had programs um, such as fuel assistance and RSVP, which is a volunteer program. They had some Hit Star programs there. So but they were just looking for someone to sort of bring everything all together into one newsletter so people would know the extent of their reach. Yeah. Nice. So that was good. Um, I've also worked for a company that did EMI shielding. 
um, mm. electromagnetic interference shielding. Interesting. Yeah. That's very different. Yeah. <laughs> I was their marketing communications coordinator. And okay. before I had my children, I used to travel around the country setting up trade shows. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. That so sounds like I, it could be exciting. It was. It was very exciting before I had children. But after I had <laughs> my kids, I really wanted to be home. Right. Yes. So I would, I would be the first person there. I would arrive maybe two or three days before the sales force would be oh, there. Wow. And make sure that everything was in place, that everything was backlit prop properly. And um, and then once the show started, I'd be the first person there in the morning making sure they had all of their collateral literature and everything that they needed. And then the last one at night, making sure everything was put away. Right. Wow. wow. You did the, the bookend job. Huh? Yeah, it's hard work. Yeah. <laughs> so I had my afternoons to play, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then you transitioned into writing. How did that come about? Yes. Actually, um, after I left work and had my children, I got back into writing. I was a reporter for a, a local newspaper. Actually, I wrote for a couple of them, and it was perfect because I didn't have to leave my house. I could write right there. I did a yes. lot of reporting for meetings, you know, going to school committee meetings and planning board meetings, but I was also able to do a few features, which I really liked because you could be a little bit more creative about that. Yeah. yeah. I like that. So writing has really been a part of your life from the start, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whether it was for myself or for someone else, um, it's my comfortable place. A lot of writers feel that way. They feel comfortable in, in the word. Yeah. So um, one day when I was in the office writing, someone came in from Social Conservatory and said they were looking for a communications director. And my editor sort of pointed at me and said, <laughs> she would be good. <laughs> oh, wow, that was so, a kind editor. She was a very kind editor. She's awesome. Yeah. Um, so that's how I ended up getting the job that I currently have. All right, great. So before we leave this topic, we want to talk about your poetry and, and your poems, but what is it? communications director's day look like? What do you do day to day? Pretty much anything that speaks internally or externally. I'm in charge of the website. I'm in charge oh, of a big job. literature, mm -hmm. social media, advertising. A lot of it is overseen. I, I don't do everything myself. You know, you know what I'm saying? I yeah. do most of the writing, sure. but I do work um, with a graphic designer who's just wonderful. And sometimes we work with PR firms. To I might be the one who writes the announcement, but they will distribute it for us, which is really helpful. Yes. And it has changed enormously over the years that I've been there. I mean, I think of how I used to spread the word before. I would be typing something up on a typewriter and then mailing it out. And right. Oh, my God, the Internet just makes life so much easier. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. For writers, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yes, editing your work. Oh, my God, so yeah. much better. Yes. Yeah. It's cool, a huge cool. change. It is. Well, should we dive into these poems? Sure. Where would you like yeah. to start? Well, the first one that we heard is breath therapy. So this touches, I think, on a personal experience of yours. And I'd love to know, one thing I love about poetry is that it's a little more subjective than just regular storytelling, our usual short stories. So for each individual poem that we hear, the reader 
gets to take something away that the author may have intended, maybe not intended based on their own personal experiences. So I really like that. But I enjoy also knowing what the author's intent was. So what do you hope for somebody as we go through these poems to get out of this poem? What does it mean for you and what inspired it? I actually wrote this poem in response to, I believe, a pub publication was looking for something that was meditative. Mm -hmm. And this was the closest that I'd ever been. And this was kind of an interesting experience. As, as you said, it's very personal. In 2006, I was diagnosed with cancer. And mm -hmm. I went through nine months of treatment. And sort of in the middle of it, I had been on chemo. I only had four, um, four treatments of that. So... After I finished treatment, I happened to be at the grocery store and I saw this woman who I'd known in my childhood and she said, I just got certified as a breath therapist. And I'd never wow. heard, I'd never hey. heard of it. Have you heard of that no. before? No, I, it is something that has become in my periphery lately, analyzing breaths and breath work. I hadn't heard of that until really this past year, I think. Yeah. And this was probably, I don't know. 2008 maybe I'd been I'd been done for a little bit so she said to me I think where you were on chemo you'd be a really good candidate for this and I was just sort of like oh no I've had enough treatment I don't want to <laughs> right, do more right, right. not anything but do, else but do you know what convinced me she said to me that she had done this work with someone who had stopped smoking like two years before and when they did the breath therapy, they could still taste the cigarettes in their mouth. Ooh, wow. And it just tells you how deep down everything is. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That was so powerful. And she totally convinced me. I thought, okay, if I've got chemo with drugs in me, let's get them out. Right. Yeah. You know. That's cool. Why well, I, I associated it with yoga. <laughs> you know, I figured it was yes. some kind of, you know, related. I thought, I mean, the breath therapy, I figured was just as part of, you know, the end of your yoga session or something. but <laughs> That makes well, sense. There, there's a, I'm, I'm attending lots of medical things recently on more of a holistic approach to medicine. And there's this breath therapy person that I have been listening to, and I haven't gotten to this, but he's like, increase your energy by 100%. And so I'm, I'm all for like, I'm, I have a healthy skepticism. You know, I'm a modern medicine type of girl, but I really believe in do what works. So I was very curious and haven't watched his videos yet, but he was talking about how breathing can change your life and how, how um, oxygen is delivered to your cells. Mm -hmm. And so I thought mm -hmm. that was very interesting and it makes me think of this as we read this poem. But, you know, here we go with this interconnected mind, body, soul thing again, which is really yeah. the theme of this, this I know it's like our third show where this yeah. has come up Isn't I know interesting? <laughs> I know it okay but yeah it was funny because you you talk about it being energizing yeah and that actually wasn't what I discovered from doing this it was calming wow. in a way I'd never experienced before like I feel like even my fingernails were calm I <laughs> I ended up being out for probably 40 minutes and it felt like I had just closed and opened my eyes wow and now, when there you was say you were out, pardon you, me? When you say you were out, what does that process look like? Asleep? I don't know. Oh, really? I just yeah. know you just that started the therapy and then you it ended was up part kind of, of the therapy. Asleep? Okay. 
Yeah. She said, you know, pay attention to the in and the out and do it with your mouth open. And it had to be very thoughtful, I guess I would say. You yeah. were supposed to be paying attention to it. Yeah. And I didn't know what would happen. And I'm such a non-believer, like, don't ever right. send yeah. me to a hypnotist or something. Oh, right. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was amazing. I did it twice. Great. I would highly recommend it. Very neat. Is it something you do? Is there maintenance doses of this <laughs> that you do no. on your own? Okay. No. Interesting. Oh. Okay. So that's where this first poem comes from, your personal experience. And so I think it's a really beautiful uh, portrayal of that. Thank you. And funny. <laughs> it ends on uh, the house is not burned down. I like that. You know, she's like worried about that as the thoughts are popping in her head. That was really good. Yeah. You know, I was supposed to be thinking of my breathing and I was thinking of what if the house burns down? Yeah, exactly. I know. I think that's what meditation does to you at first when you're undisciplined. When I tried it, I'm thinking about, oh, you know. It all just, kinds you, of stuff. All kinds of stuff. It's like you have to keep recentering. It's very irritating. <laughs> um, oh, you'll do it, don't we? That's yeah. right. It takes discipline. Okay, what about second thoughts? Second thoughts. It's mm. interesting that second thoughts is sort of at the forefront of everyone's mind. Um, very timely. It very is emotional. Very timely. And you know, I think all of us have things happened in our lives, and we don't think about them for a very long time. And and I was thinking this was a friend of mine. This happened to a friend of mine. It's a true story then. It is a true story. And mm. a different version of it appears in the book that we'll talk about later. Yeah. This is wow. sort of a shortened version. Hmm. That gives me chills. But um, as, as you know, this person was raped and got pregnant and, um, and she had an abortion. And... I grew up Catholic and I had to sit through the CYO, you know, the movie of why abortion was terrible, blah, blah, blah. And things are very black and white until this happened, until my friend was in this situation where mm. if she had this child, it would change her whole life. And it's at that moment that it became, and it was probably, I don't know, 19 Mm -hmm. wow. It became very clear that this is important, that people need to have access to abortions. You know, when things happen in your life that you didn't plan on. So I have not seen her in many, many years. And Facebook, thank goodness, Facebook links us again. And this person actually is against abortion. And mm -hmm. I find that very interesting. The person in the that you're talking about in the poem. The person Very in the poem. The person who was raped, basically, yeah. Yes. Now, did that come, but was it her view before and after the abortion, or? We've never spoken about it, but I would assume, you know, I would assume that she, like me, had actually not really thought about it. Yeah. Strong sure. Catholic upbringing, it's not going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, it was um, it was extremely eye-opening. Yeah, but it, I can't help but feel a little betrayed that she doesn't still hold that view. And I guess maybe someday, because I haven't seen her in a very long time, mm -hmm. um, maybe someday we'll have the discussion. Right. Yeah. And sure. I, I think, like you said, it's not really black and white. There are grays, and I think that different circumstances, and I don't want to wax political here, but 
different circumstances. Maybe there are different times where she might be okay with it. She might not be okay with it under other circumstances. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of what's the intent behind this, mm -hmm. what, you know? And so that can change your view where it's not just I'm against this or I'm for this. It's, you know, case by case situational thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's a very sober piece, but the title is terrific. So <laughs> Thank it you. fits in very well. And I just, yeah, really enjoyed it from that perspective. It's yeah. interesting that when I first had written the piece that's in the book, it isn't about her changing her mind. It's about her experience. Actually, it's oh. called The Last Virgins in America. Huh. Oh, so. Wow. wow, that's great. This is kind of like the sequel to it. Okay, very yeah. good. Well, this third one is one of my favorites. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> oh, my lemon? Yeah. <laughs> um, the lemon. The lemon was actually a beautiful Camry. Mm. My experience with Camrys was when I was in my 20s, I really wanted a Camry. And I put my name in a Toyota <laughs> and there was like a six-month waiting list. But you know what? <laughs> That's so I needed cute. my car immediately so i had to settle on another car so that didn't happen and then probably sometime in the 80s my girlfriend's mom was selling her camry and yes yes i want it so i bought it <laughs> and the engine seized on it oh my gosh <laughs> so probably sometime around 2009 or so I had my other chance with a Camry. I bought this beautiful Camry <laughs> that was gray and it matched the pavement. That's all I can say yeah, because yeah. in 18 months, this car was hit four times. Oh my God. Oh no. Yes. It was hit four times. Um, I hope you weren't in it all four times. I was only in it once. <laughs> okay. I was good. only in it once. And that, act that accident was my fault, but it had been parked. One time I walked out of work and there was a piece of another car sticking out the side of this car. <laughs> of so, oh, my oh my goodness. Gosh. Someone That's has horrible. to have known they hit me. Yeah. Mm. Right. They left a piece of the car there. Peel away a piece of their car as they're driving away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh I think they would notice. <laughs> so anyway, oh I just, um, I thought I would write my love note to my car, but... That's the end of my Camry. I, I ended up calling. I do name my cars. Yeah. And I ended up calling that one Boom Boom for very obvious <laughs> reasons. And I decided after that to buy a bright blue car that did not match the pavement. And nice. it was called Vivi. Vivi. I like, I like right. Vivi. Vivi. Vivi never got hot. Never got hit. So that was great. <laughs> and what kind of car is it? Uh, Vivi was a Lanta Touring. Now I have Lucille, oh. which is a redhead. It's a red um, <laughs> GMC terrain. Uh, I wow, love really affair with the, the cars. Yeah, jump around on the, on the manufacturers a bit there. I know. <laughs> I, have no, I have no loyalty. Never satisfied, right? <laughs> well, let me, let me ask this. I always wonder, I've done just a teeny little bit of poetry myself. So I'm always very curious with the, the line breaks and kind of the style of the visual poem on the page. It almost um, cascades down the page in little um, five-word stanzas or something. So why did you choose to do that? Or just give us some thoughts on that. Because it felt like a car rolling to me. 
Yeah, I like ah, it. Okay, cool. See, there you go. That's as simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really yeah. good. I did have fun with that, so I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. I always love when poems are in unusual forms. Yeah. Like that, where they almost take on a shape yeah. of their own. That's it's fun. I don't do many like that, but that one sort of felt like that's what it needed. Yeah. Because right. if it was lined up, it just, I don't know, it felt too quite stark. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. quite right. What I just find very fascinating is that, so one of the poems that I wrote that got published, um, there's a scene in it, it's sort of a narrative poem, where it basically talks about an accident, and it was a car accident. And it talks about like skid marks and blah, blah, blah. And I did exactly the same thing. Mine are a little longer, so it looks almost like tire marks or something. You know what I mean? You kind of relate that in your visual. But it's fascinating that you did the same thing on a, a similar style with a car. Now I'm going to have to search that. What was it called? <laughs> uh, it's in the pointed circle. I'll, I could send it. I'll just send it to you. I would love it. <laughs> sure. Thanks. <laughs> Excellent. I don't think I've read that one, J.W. Oh, it's I've done it at the writers group many times. I got lots of good suggestions from it. Sure. I don't remember yeah. that. I don't. I don't remember mm. seeing it. Now okay. I want to read. Send it to me. This <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the next one. Storms are coming. Yeah. Storms are coming. Well, I wrote this after I had been at the grocery store, and there were a lot another of people. Grocery store. Another grocery experience. Store. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. People were kind of using their elbows and just everyone was trying to get what they needed because the storm was coming and <laughs> they were all irritated and grumpy and they wanted the last box of rice. And it was just, it was just an unpleasant experience. And yeah. so I got the things I needed and they came home and I was in my kitchen and I looked out the back and the birds were out there and they were taking turns at the feeder. Now, they know the storm is coming, just as we know the storm is coming, and they they still keep the same order. And I just found that so interesting. Like oh, oh so much God. more civilized. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, honestly. That was just something that I noticed and and I just had to write it down. I like that. Very yeah. neat. Mm -hmm. I like some of the line I like obedient kindergartners. I got some great <laughs> lines on this one too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yes. I spent a little time in our, our pre-K class at the conservatory, so I do know a lot of obedient kindergartners. And, right, yes, right. I have an obedient kindergartner, so I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> they yes. have great stories, and they are completely unfiltered. I know. Yes. And they're, yeah, that innocence, just so sweet. Yeah. Oh, I remember funny. one time a police officer came in to talk about safety in the car and using your seatbelts. And mm -hmm. one of them totally threw his uncle under the bus. My oh. uncle never uses seatbelts. And he says, I don't have to use it. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yikes. I hope this wasn't recently. Goodness gracious. No, it was probably, I don't know, six years ago or so. Well, that's still pretty recent. Yeah, that is know. still I mean, pretty recent. <laughs> I remember yeah. with seatbelts, I was around when seatbelts were introduced, as it were, in some ways. And so I can see some skepticism and blah, blah, blah. But it's been 40 years or something since it's been It's much mandated. sooner than you would like to hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And maybe it only happened once. I mean, you never know. Yeah, that's true. That is true. The kids' perspectives can be um, slightly skewed. Yeah. The last poem, Opinions on Writing Poetry, I just knew when I read this one, I was like, okay, this is my kind of person right here because <laughs> it's about writing, of course, and my life is about writing a lot. But 
I love how you describe writing. You have a parakeet in there. I have a parakeet. I love parakeets. (laughs) (laughs) Then the line of less is more, I disagree, more is more. So I, I have to share these things because this came up. This is my experience with this poem. It just brought all these, all these thoughts to my mind. So I don't know if you guys watch Frasier. Frasier is one of my favorite shows ever. And there's a line in there. Now, we, my husband and I go back and forth. He says, if less is more, think of how much more more would be. So <laughs> we're saying that all the time. And I'm like, yeah, if less is more. Think of how much more more would be. I love it. And then one of my favorite poems is Robert Frost stopping by woods on a snowy evening, which mm-hmm. is so funny. So this poem was just full of things that I loved. But I love that poem. I actually have a picture on my wall that I kind of painted because of that. And it, it's on my shelf. So it means a lot. So this is fun. So talk about this poem and I'll stop. So <laughs> I've actually, I stopping the Woods on a snowy evening. I've always loved it. And it's actually all the more fun now because one of my colleagues told me that you can sing it to Fernando's Hideaway. Okay, I got to write that down. Yeah. So whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. Oh, you, you know, if you if you know that song, you realize wow. that she is correct, that you oh, can cool. sing it. Oh, I love it even more now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I wrote this because I am a fairly new writer. I've only been, I mean, fairly new poetry writer. I've only been perhaps writing since maybe 2014. My first piece wasn't published until 2017, so I am new. And I'm always looking for advice from poets and reading this and that. And I was surprised to hear that they were all so different. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have like Billy Collins who sits down and he writes it all at once and it's done and, and never goes back to edit. You have Ellen Bass who is still, you know, looking at some pieces that have published, but feels that they're really not finished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I just I I just had all these thoughts. I'm like, I'm sure they're all valid and they all work for them. But it just told me that there are no rules. I think that that's what I learned. There are mm-hmm. no rules about writing poetry, that you need to write from the heart, that it really is okay to go back and revisit it and change it after a time if it doesn't feel right to you and yeah sure Mm -hmm. yeah but robert frost i do i do love him and i was shocked to hear it only took 10 minutes to pen i did not know that about this poem which i find just fascinating i mean one that can capture you and be spit out so quickly it's just amazing isn't it it is i know it just feels like perfection and i don't know if i'll ever get there but i'll have fun trying (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah you just never know i think moments can be captured differently depending upon your mood i agree i agree and everything how quickly something comes whether it's forced or whether it's you know inspired by something else so um 2010 memoir you want to talk about that a little bit sure well i was working at the conservatory for part of the time i also worked six hours a week at a library it was a community library. I was there on Friday afternoons and Saturdays. Um, it was a great gig. They paid me to talk to people. I don't need to be paid. Yeah. But one of my um, my friends from the library, one day she just said, 
what do you think about starting a, a writing group at the library? And she said, we'd just be a few of us. And she didn't, she didn't necessarily say, hey, let's do a memoir group. She just wanted the experience of writing. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. this is what it turned into. So there are five of us. Well, actually, there's only four of us now because one just passed. Mm-hmm. And um, one of us brings a prompt and we just take like 25 to 30 minutes to write what comes to mind and then we share it. That's neat. great. Yeah. So if you think about it, if I've done this in 2010, once a month, I've got a lot of material to work with for my poetry. Definitely. Right, that's true. And I bet you are each inspired by each other. Oh, yes. Yeah, everyone's voice is different. And I find this with my Poets and Poetry Circle as well, that even if it's not the person who wrote it that is reciting it, you can tell who wrote it because of the flavor Mm -hmm. of, of the piece. We all write very differently. And... I would guess that when I started, if I went back and read what I wrote in 2010 and what I'm writing now that I'm doing poetry, I think that I might have written it a little different now. Mm-hmm. And it, it's because um, my background is in journalism, so my inclination is to tell every detail because yeah. that was when I was taught. Yeah. But that's not po- what poetry is. Poetry is like tiny morsels. You know, to just mm-hmm. savor. Mm-hmm. I like that description. Yeah, it's a good description. Well, and I did want to ask this question too. So, if your other friends in the group were not writers, I mean, doing this for fifteen. Wait, what are we in? How, how long has it been? What year is it? It's twenty twenty three. So Twelve, Twelve years. Twelve years. Twenty twenty two. Do you? Well, it's practically next year. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I can imagine that you've seen a big improvement. I mean, if you guys met regularly, you know, once a month for 12 years in everyone's writing, would you agree or not? I'm just curious. Is there an improvement in their writing or in my yeah. writing? Yeah, well, yours as well. Yeah, sure, both. I mean, whatever. You've, you're a professional writer, so that's maybe a little different. But I mean, just my experience in my writing group has been in the past six years that I've been in one, I've been kind of amazed at how some folks have really progressed. And their, mm-hmm. yeah, the skill has really increased. And mm-hmm. so I thought the longer you go, the better that would be. But maybe that's not the case. So I'm, I'm really not sure. I'm the only one who uses a computer. Most of them use pen and paper. Oh. And I think, not to say that it's a set it and forget it, but I think they just get it out. I don't think they go back to it. Oh, I, I see. I think it's there. For some, it's there for their, for their children. There's one of them. Um, one of the writers, I just love listening to the stories of her childhood on a farm. Yeah. Um, you know, I would imagine that her grandchildren would just love to hear those stories. Right, yeah. right. Oh, okay, know? so it's not so much that they're trying to become writers. They are just sort of a semi-memoir group-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, it's good to have something, even if you're not a writer, that forces you to think and use your muscles and your brain, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. And they were all good writers in their own way. One of them, actually, the one who wrote about the farm, she was a teacher. She, I mm. believe she was a reading teacher. So, you know, it was clear. She just has a great master of, of the language. Yeah. Yeah, we've had several. And we don't, I mean, when we, we try to read these pieces blind, and we've had several teachers' works on. Isn't that interesting? Nice. Yeah, it just yeah. happens to turn out that way. Yeah, they must have some sort of natural skill in that regard. I don't know. Yeah. That is interesting. Anyway, 
So you have a Facebook haiku group or <laughs> Facebook tradition. Tell us a little bit about that. I find that interesting. I do. I celebrate Haiku Tuesday every Tuesday. And this is a tradition that started um, with one colleague talking to another colleague. And it was someone who was new. And he remarked to her, you speak like you speak in haikus. You should, you know, you should write haiku. So she started writing a haiku once a week, and I would post a haiku under hers on her page. <laughs> and then I thought, this is my own work. I should make sure that I keep it yeah, as opposed sure. to having it go out there. So every Tuesday on my page, it always says, it's Haiku Tuesday, friends. No. Let's play. I yeah. love it. It's it's fun. I always try to make it humorous um <laughs> it's it follows the 575 on facebook but the pieces that have published like in modern haiku i mean haiku universe field field haiku those are more modern haikus so it's more about what it is okay. i can tell you what this week's haiku was yeah what sure is it? don't you hate when you are writing a haiku and you run out of scylla <laughs> that <Cute>. is great <laughs> it's fun you know what i'm hearing come up in your history here is consistency so you have a group that meets once a month you're very consistent with that for years at this point you have your haiku tuesdays you do that once a week so writing is a part of your daily weekly monthly life and i think that's great that tradition of keeping it going you don't stop and i think that's important and i never thought of it that way but you're right i i never gave it a thought yeah very cool okay well we're getting close to time and this is a question that i have revised based on melissa's input <laughs> i don't know if we sent this to you in advance or not but do you remember the first book that made you cry or if you don't then what is a book that has impacted your life Oh, I can tell you, the book is called Slamming Open the Door by Kathleen Sheeter Bonanno. It's the very first book of poetry that I've read. She's a mom whose daughter was found murdered. Oh. oh. And she writes about that whole experience, realizing she was missing it. Oh. It is the most heartbreaking but beautiful piece I've ever read. and. That is what made me realize that I want to go down that road of poetry. That, yeah. that you can tell your story in a really beautiful way by showing and not telling. And it's really, it's really quite a book. Wow. Okay. Great. Yeah. And yes, it made me cry. That too. So two in one. <laughs> two in one. Emotional yeah. impact with tears. Yeah. Okay. I know it's we're, we're very much out of time and we have our still last question, but I have to ask you about, um, in addition to writing poetry, you've co-written a memoir slash novella uh, with your cousin, correct? And yes. I, I want to know a little bit, I mean, parallel lifestyles, things like that. I want to hear about that, but also what it's like co-writing something with somebody else. I think mm. that's interesting for our listeners. We haven't really come across that on the show. It it's been one of the most amazing creative experiences I've ever had. And we actually 
hadn't seen each other for years and we reconnected when my aunt died and my aunt was a poet but nothing was ever published and mm. and when she died we found little bits of paper around her house and I took those and put them into a book and sent them out to her family and my cousin who was in Washington found it and she 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 got it and she was emailing me saying, you're not going to believe it. Two weeks ago, I had a dream that that Aunt Peggy was in my kitchen talking about, about poetry. And she said to ask you because you had the poems. Oh, wow. Oh, so another set of chills. Another yeah. set of chills. So since that time, we started sending each other. I would send her poetry for critique. She would send me prose for critique. And at one point, she said, what do you think about us doing something together? You know, because we have a lot of similar experiences. And I said to her, we really should start with the time that we met when we were 18. And it, it was the world's most awkward reunion, but we never, <laughs> we never spoke about it. It was just, it was just super awkward. So we just said, we're going to, we're going to write about we're 18 years old and we're meeting each other. And I wrote my piece in poetry and she wrote her piece in prose. And they were identical. We both had that same discomfort. We both couldn't understand what the what was happening with the other person. Why did wow. they make that decision? Wow, that's very cool. So yeah. she had hitchhiked cross country from Washington to Massachusetts. I was still, I couldn't wait to get to college. I was still under my parents' roof. She couldn't understand that. But as we aged, we realized we have sort of live parallel lives on different coasts. She, mm -hmm. like me, has two boys. She has been divorced and remarried. She has chosen a creative path. Um, hmm. It's been really amazing getting to know her through the written word. Such a unique experience. Right. And it's called The Girl Scout and Hitchhiker, so you know which one I am. <laughs> the hitchhiker, of course. Right. Oh, of course. <laughs> In a uniform. Right, right. So, right. so that is coming out next year by Finishing Line Press. So we're pretty excited about that. That is terrific. Good. Well, the so name in the book again for our listeners. The Girl Scout and the Hitchhiker. Girl Scout and the Hitchhiker. Finish okay. Line Press. All right. So we'll sounds have to good. Be looking for that. Everybody should be picking that up. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well. We officially went over a little bit, so um, our last question then is to share a piece of writing advice or resources, whatever you think would be helpful to aspiring authors or curious listeners. I would advise them to read as much poetry as you can by as many varied writers. Everyone has a different point of view. Clearly, the opinions on poetry, everyone has a different opinion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But you get something out of, out of everyone, even if it's just a line that stays with you or a concept. They're just all very rich. Yeah. I like it. Terrific. Good. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but is there a, a book of poetry that you would recommend in particular? Any assemblages of poetry that folks would enjoy? Um, one of the very first poetry um, books that I bought that is a selection because I buy a lot of chapbooks. Mm -hmm. is one called Poems That Make Men Cry. Ooh. I really enjoyed that one. 
Uh, I'm afraid of that one. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Break out your box of tissues and open it up. Okay, great. Terrific. Well, Elaine, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your poetry with us. We were so excited to get it in the summer edition here and have it on the narration on the podcast. So it's been a lot of fun to get to know you and to understand your poetry as well. So thanks again. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I agree. And it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Elaine. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends or giving us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Those reviews really make a difference. We'd like to thank the folks at Literature and Latte, the makers of Scrivener, for sponsoring the podcast and providing an amazing tool for writers. If you'd like to take your writing to the next level and use a tool designed for writers by writers, then give Scrivener a try. What have you got to lose? The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine. Edited by J.W. McAteer, all stories and poems are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash Onyx Publications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new works to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story or poem for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, keep reading and writing.